0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everybody? It is Tuesday, November 19th, 2019, and we are here for another episode of the Wong Takes. So, for me, it's intense because fantasy playoffs are here, at least in my league, the way we've designed the playoffs, and I'd highly recommend you do this format if you're really into um, giving everyone action late in the year. you get first of all, take week 17 off because people sit that's just snot. I think that that's a practice that every league should have. Then we do 10 weeks of regular season, which is pretty short. And for a 10-team league, that means you play one person twice and everyone else once. So it's almost a round robin. It's a little more than a round robin. And then you have the top two teams get a bye. And the teams 3-6 through play a two-week round for 11-12. and And then the semifinals are 13-14, finals 15-16. And with this format, you get 6 out of 10 teams in the playoffs, which... You know, people argue about how many teams should get in the playoffs or whatever, but if you look at what it's done in, like, basketball or hockey, I mean, it does make it um, pretty fun and gives a lot more teams things to play for late in the year. Especially in fantasy football where there's no concept of tanking or draft picks or anything. Uh, it it could be arguably a net benefit to have that many people involved late on uh, in the season. And then that means there's a real incentive to get a high seed because uh, you get a buy. And also you get a nice little format that mirrors kind of the NFL playoffs to some extent with the kind of wild card and then divisional and then a championship round. And so that's pretty cool. Um, but that's my fantasy league that no one cares about. But I talk about it anyway. It's, that's my prerogative. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to what you tuned in for. College football week number 12. A couple of big games this weekend. Georgia played Auburn in the SEC game of the week. Four-hour game, as we are accustomed to from the uh, CBS on SEC uh, standard telecast. Um, And this was a very curious game. It was a great game. Um, And... Coming into it, I was doubting Georgia. I think a lot of people were doubting Georgia. Did they deserve the number four seed? Number four seed, and I think they proved that they did uh, against a really tough Auburn team. Auburn, poor Auburn. I mean, its fate is always it's always destined unless it's a really good year to have two or three losses just because of the brutal nature of the schedule and the conference and the teams that play. Um, and once again, at 7-3, and 4-3 uh, and three in conference, despite having a really good team. It just has to play a lot of really good teams, and this was exciting in the fourth quarter when Auburn started to make its comeback that, you know, you could have seen coming, but it was looking bad for the Tigers, but I think one of the things we can glean from this is that uh, the Georgia defense is really good. I mean, that's what's uh, arguably gotten them to this point. You know, holding Notre Dame to 17 points, holding Florida to 17 points. The most they've given up all year is, uh, I think, 24 points or something like that. So, this Georgia defense is really strong. And that's what's helped them in this game build that big lead to the point where, even when they got a little tired at the end, uh, they could afford it. Still a little bit worried about the offense. Uh, I mean, Jake Fromm wasn't super involved in this one. He did throw for three touchdowns, uh, including a deep throw to Blaylock in the first quarter. But, you know, look at the stats, 13 for 28, 110 yards. And that's okay, you know, when you've got running backs like they do, uh, particularly uh, DeAndre Swift. uh, You don't need super reliance on the passing game. You just need to do what you can to win. I think the lesson that we got from this game and also from another one we'll talk about later uh, is, you know, when you're up big, don't try to be conservative. Uh, play your style of offense. Don't try to necessarily run out the clock on defense, too. I mean, a lot of George's flaws and defensively in the fourth quarter could be chalked up to scheme, you know, playing a soft zone, uh, letting the offense of Auburn get in some kind of rhythm. Uh, is not something you want to do, even when you're up big, because it, it leaves the potential for a comeback. And in, a, in, in college football, 21 points is nothing, um, particularly with uh, teams as good, of this caliber. You know, 21 points is nothing. And despite all that I said about Auburn, you know, if you watch this team, they l- look one year away. I mean, in the fourth quarter, we really saw Bo Nix's potential. Uh, leading two touchdown drives. And it's going to be about consistency for him, uh, as it's really been all year. I mean, he's always showed flashes in these. He's He's been stuck in these big games. I mean, you, you get that when you come to Auburn. You know what to expect. Um, but, you know, thrown right into the fire right away against Oregon and then getting uh, A&M and Florida and LSU and Georgia and then Alabama at the end of the year. I mean, that's a... A very tough schedule, and you can see his potential in all of these games. It's just that he makes too many mistakes, a little too inconsistent with placing the ball accurately, and if he has time to develop that, right, He he's one year away from being, you know, the best quarterback in college football. Uh, I would not be surprised to see that. He, people forget he's only a freshman, and he's doing all, he's my grade and he's doing all this stuff, um, and it's ridiculous, and it's really cool, and you can tell that this Auburn team is going to be really good. And if they can put together a good performance against Alabama in a game that surprisingly is probably not going to mean much uh, as far as college football playoff scenarios go, um, we'll see where this Auburn team stands heading into next year. The mid late afternoon game, Oklahoma and Baylor, a big one in Waco, Texas. My mom watches Fixer Upper, and so isn't just funny that Chip and Joanna uh, Gaines were the guest pickers uh, for game day in Waco. But the Bears jumped out to a 28-3 lead, and we all know what happens when you jump out to a 28-3 lead, you lose. And that's what happened. They fell to the Sooners, 34-31. to Now, I'm not going to cover in depth the Minnesota-Iowa game. Uh, I kind of low-key forgot about it. But... We saw a couple of teams with something to prove go down uh, this weekend, and it's kind of disappointing. I mean, you're always rooting for the underdogs, um, but it is a little bit of a, a reality check. You know, when you've got a target on your back, when you, you're you playing against teams where you're their biggest fit game, uh, maybe not the case with Oklahoma, um, but certainly Minnesota was starting to feel that a little. And... It's tough because with a schedule like Baylor's or like Minnesota's, you've got – it's a results-driven league, right? And you've got to win games. It doesn't matter how you play necessarily. You've got to win out. Um, Baylor, for instance, playing against TCU when they barely beat them in triple overtime, no one's going to care about that in a few weeks. They just care that you won. You play Oklahoma, you come out firing – Uh, You you take the lead 28 to three. You lead by 18 at the half, and yet no one's going to care because you lost. the The rankings committee, which those rankings probably gonna they're probably out by the time this shows out, but you know the the committee doesn't care about how you played to to a certain extent, right? Your your ranking it's it's a zero sum game. Your rankings probably going to go up if you win and down if you lose. End of story. Um, And with this loss, Baylor's probably going to drop to you know somewhere around the 1920 range, and Minnesota's probably going to drop to uh, probably 13-15 to 15 or something like that. And that's just the end of their playoff hopes uh, probably. And that's disappointing, um, but, you know, it is what it is in, in college football. If you can't – if you're new to the scene, you've got to be perfect. Now, obviously, you set your program up for continued success. You build yourself a little bit of leeway. Uh, you you recruit well. Um, P.J. Flex signing a big extension in Minnesota is going to help with that. Uh, that's, and I'm sure Matt really will get something as well. I mean that that that's how you build your program. Um, but right now, the these one-loss teams are going to have a really hard time uh, getting into the playoff, uh, just because of the nature of their situation and their history. Um, and that's that's just tough. That's the way it is. USC beat Cal in the nightcap at the local hour, 41-17. to Ha, ah, this was such a frustrating game to watch. After the... Well, okay, so before the Arizona State game, uh, I told my friend, this is you know, this is the biggest game, because we were 4-0 at the time. This is the biggest game in Cal's recent history. And every game, if they keep winning, every game will keep being the biggest game in Cal's recent history. And of course, they lost that game. They proceeded to lose four in a row. Nothing really mattered anymore. But... Coming into this one, you've got the Joe Roth uniforms honoring a former Cal football player who died of cancer a few months after his last game. Uh, It's your senior night. I mean, you've got big names going out. Evan Weaver sticks out, of course. And you want to put on a good showing. Uh, There were 47,000 people there, one of the biggest crowds of the year at Memorial. A lot of USC fans, but a lot of Bears fans as well. And it's tough because... You want to put on a good show uh, for your team, and they just flat out didn't do that. It's tough because also you wanted to see Chase Garbers come back and perform well, and there was a lot of debate over the week as Garbers was medically cleared to play. Do you want to start him? Because if he gets another injury, if he re-injures his injury or he gets a new injury, I mean, you, you, you want him there for the big game and you want him there for UCLA too and is, would, preca- would caution be the better option here, and it's tough because it's senior night, you want to put your best team out there, I mean, USC feels like a big game um, USC sign of stands is the antithesis of Cal, you know SoCal, NorCal, um, public, private et cetera, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. you can go on and on and so you wanted him there for this big game, but at the same time, looking at him getting re injured is really tough. And modster came in, looked like the monster uh from a few from a few games ago, not the monster that destroyed Washington State last week, and that was the BLN doll uh for the Bears. But looking forward, you you're gonna want to be careful with Garbers. I mean, he's questionable uh, and also, Christopher Brown, questionable uh, for the big game. And this is your chance. I mean, you're 5-5, five five, Stanford's 4-6. You haven't and and won the AXE in nine years. This is your chance, and you want Garbers to be out there. And if Garbers is medically cleared to play, he's going to play, just like last week. Um, but, of course, this injury was tough uh, for their chances. I think for Cal to win, they're going to have to control clock, of course. Um, the defense is going to have to get back to the bend don't break that they had at the beginning of the year, and we're going to have to look for deep throws. Uh, it's been one element that's been missing from the offense is the quick strike ability. Uh, that was kind of it was it was there more early in the year, um, that not so much right now. So it's a tough tough week for Cal football, but I'm excited um, to see some rivalry matchups over the next few weeks. Obviously, the big game. You've got Alabama, Auburn in a couple of weeks, and the College Football Playoff and uh, Penn State, Ohio State this week weekend. Uh, the end of the year just makes everything more interesting, um, and I'm I'm excited for what's going to come. NFL Week Eleven, uh, there was a big thing that happened on Thursday night between the Browns and the Steelers. The Browns won that game, but Miles Garrett um, hit Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet and got suspended indefinitely. I definitely think that was the appropriate reaction. I don't think there's anyone that would disagree with that. I mean, they're, um, fans are naturally going to come to the defense of their players, and Mason Rudolph did start the provocations, but there's kind of a switch you have to flip. You know, once a helmet comes off, usually people kind of just stop, and I think that's reasonable. Um, the the player is a lot less protected in that moment and Mason Rudolph getting hit over the head with a helmet could have been a lot could have caused a lot more harm um at least visibly than it did mason rudolph just went like what 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 um but that could have potentially been very serious and it still could potentially be very serious if there was a concussion that didn't get noticed right away or something like that but these are the types of issues that the NFL really has to continue to take a stand on if they want to demonstrate that they really um, are, are for player safety and will be proactive toward uh, preserving player safety. I think another kind of curious issue is the Maurice Pouncey, Marquise Pouncey issue where he started kicking Garrett uh, also in the head after Garrett hit Rudolph in the head. I think Pouncey had a good good head about it. I mean, he, he had to understand that a suspension was coming, and it did come three games. Um, but he said, I'll take it because Garrett was hurting my quarterback. And I think that's the right attitude. I mean, obviously you don't want to be running around kicking people in the head, but if it was ever deserved, you know, that was it. I'm not condoning violence in any sense. But I think given that he has accepted his punishment um, and – and understands why. I don't really think there's much of a problem there with how all that conspired and turned out. On to actual football. The Niners played this weekend. They beat the Cardinals 36-26. to That last fantasy... I'm actually playing um, against the Niners' defense in fantasy, and that last touchdown uh, should not have counted. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> a gutsy win uh, for, for the 49ers, coming off a very, very tough Monday night loss in Seattle, going a short week... Uh, Playing against Arizona at home, this this was going to be a tight game. Uh, divisional mo- divisional opponents always tough. Kyler Murray could be the another Russell Wilson in the division. I've seen a lot of that, um, and it, it very much looked like it in this one. But this this Niners team in this game, Jimmy G came up huge. Uh, played a lot, not totally dissimilar to the Cardinals game two weeks ago, and I think they've. They're starting to flesh out their team a little better. I said last week that the Seahawks game was a wake-up call, and I think they took that to heart. Jimmy G played a lot better. Going 34 for 45, 424 yards and four touchdowns. We did see a lot of the issues that have plagued him, you know, and and caused uh, upheaval within the fan base. And that's the interceptions. A couple of careless picks, including one in the red zone, that really could have sealed their fate uh, had it not been for some late – Uh, heroics, but you know, he's... People forget, you know, he's young. He's got 20 starts. um, 18 with the Niners. He's not... He shouldn't be expected to necessarily have uh, the most veteran savvy even though, you know, he was a backup Tom Brady and everyone says that, you know, you you learn from the best, right? But a lot of that you can't gain until you experience it yourself. Um, And I think that's why... No one expected this team to have a 9-1 record. Even, I'm sure, the own players didn't expect to have a 9-1 record. And when you thrust these expectations in conjunction with um, how Jimmy G still needs a lot of room to grow, I think it's, it's reasonable to, for him to be where he's at right now. Uh, he doesn't necessarily have to be the superstar. Now, the Niners are getting into a really tough part of the schedule. You look at the rest coming up. Niners playing at home against Green Bay. So they get three straight uh, pretty big home games, Seattle-Arizona and Green Bay on Sunday night. That got flexed to Sunday night. I'm happy about that. And then you go at Baltimore, at New Orleans, home against Atlanta, who's beaten a couple of good divisional opponents in New Orleans and Carolina back-to-back. Then you get the Rams at home, and then you go on the road up to CenturyLink, or whatever it's called now. Um, But you go up to Seattle, and so those teams are all going to put up good fights. And if the Niners can go, you know, three and three on this stretch and look good and not get blown out, you know, you'd take that because you expect there to be some fatigue at this point, and you expect for a little bit, maybe of the quote-unquote luck to even out. Um, But defense travels, the run game travels, even though it's been stifled in recent weeks, and I don't. Expect the Niners to kind of just fade off, you know, over this next month and a half. I expect them, and not they don't have to keep up the pace, um, but they at least can continue to show a lot of the same effort uh, and uh, scheming that has gotten them to this point. And I think they definitely can do that. It starts against Green Bay, um, but it'll it'll have to continue. Um, if they want to show that they can make a deep run into the playoffs and for them to actually make a deep run into the playoffs. An interesting uh, controversy in Major League Baseball has emerged over the last week, and that is the Astros have been accused and shown evidence of, have been presented with evidence of, cheating. In the 2017 season, possibly 2018 and 2019, in the form of a setup that allowed them to steal signs and relay that to hitters using technology. They had a camera set up in center field and they had a person monitoring that and subsequently relaying the sign to via the banging of a trash can, (laughs) which is funny, uh, to the Astros hitters. And obviously that's out of bounds. Uh, you, you, shouldn't, you should never be using technology to gain an advantage uh, in this sort of cheating fashion. And the Astros, it's tough because if you look at it, it's, the evidence is undeniable. Um, it's systemic. It happened all season. It led to a significant advantage uh, in knowing what pitch was coming or at least the speed. Uh, and if, if the MLB really wants to send a message... Um, Vacating the championship would be the right move, and i don't think that's unreasonable at all um, because of the the breadth of what they did um, and the precision with which they did it um, it's very clear that they were able to identify specific pitches that were coming um, and there's and the the statistics in particular the strikeout percentage uh, difference is undeniable and so I would not be surprised to see the title vacated at all, at all. I'm not sure that's appropriate um, just because of how extreme it is. Personally, I would extend long suspensions um, and in particular for A.J. Hinch and for the uh, Astros organization, maybe suspend some picks and things like that. I wouldn't go as far as to vacate the title, but I would not blame the league if they felt it was necessary to do so um, because this is such an extreme case. Going forward, I mean, teams are going to still find ways to cheat. You know, I I would not be... I I, I think this type of gamesmanship will continue um, just because baseball teams are human. Uh, They want to gain an advantage in any way possible, and it was you know, Vaseline, and then it was steroids, and now it's... Uh, stealing signs, uh, this is a perpetual cycle, but you've got to nip this particular one in the bud while you can um, because of how severe it was, and it demonstrated that a lot can get past people, even if something seemingly as obvious as banging a trash can before off-speed pitches. And so in a case like this, precedent setting is really important. Uh, quick take reacting to the new college football playoff rankings, nothing changed in the top seven uh, really, the only point of contention, I think, this week was, uh, was Alabama going to drop because of Tua? And it sucks that is out uh, for the rest of the year because we're robbed of an exciting player on a good team. And that's what makes for the best kind of entertainment. And he's now got to deal with all of that heading into the draft. Prob- I assume he's coming out. Um, it makes sense financially. It makes sense as far as advancing his football career. Uh, and I I don't really see at this point necessarily reason for him to come back. I don't think his stock has tanked too much. I mean, he didn't look the best this season, but a lot of that's due to injury. Uh, And, of course, with him now suffering that season-ending injury, um, I don't think that's going to do much to his stock or how he's viewed by professional teams. Now, the question was, is Alabama going to drop in the rankings? I don't think they deserve to. I mean, they blew out Mississippi State. That's what they needed to do. And... You, the committee should judge teams, and they did in this case, based on what have you done, not what will you do. The the CFP is not meant to be predictive. It's not meant to say who will play the best. It's who played the best and what who's won the most quality games. And I think the committee demonstrating that they're willing to uphold that principle. Uh, is good for now and for the long run. And the teams behind Alabama have op- plenty of opportunities, um, Oregon and Utah in particular, uh, to move up uh, by potentially beating each other in a conference championship game. And if one of them loses, they don't deserve to be ahead of Alabama anyway. So, you know, I think this the committee ultimately did the right thing here. Um, and I'm, I think we're, we're in good shape uh, heading into the rest of the way. And also Minnesota and Baylor. Minnesota actually only dropped two spots, which surprised me. Um, but Baylor took a also dropped, uh, I think, one spot, um, but they were already pretty low to begin with. Um, and so it, we'll, be, we'll be curious. it will be curious to see what happens with them the rest of the way as well. Thanks so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Check it out everywhere, bit.ly, slash, at gmail.com with questions, comments, and concerns, voicemails, etc. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, as always, and I will see you next week.